Hey guys, it's Brock Cannon here. Wanted to just introduce this next episode with Mr. Ty Ward. You guys are in for a real treat with this one. Ty has become a dear friend and someone that I look up to greatly in business and in life. And you know, it's very rare that you actually find a business leader that just has a really good, healthy sense of balance in their life. What I admire about Ty is that he really works almost like on a semi-retired level in a way, but he gets so much done. And we really dive into some of his productivity secrets in this episode, how he manifests exactly what he wants in life, and how he also just has a ton of time for his kids. And he is just a creative genius. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy kind of getting into his brain just as I did in this episode. So uh, bear with us. The sound isn't the most awesome because we were going off the audio of the camera, which we were filming in this episode. But I think you guys are truly going to get a lot out of it. And I would love to hear your comments and feedback after the episode. So enjoy this episode with Ty Ward. All right, welcome everyone. This is the Brock Cannon Podcast. I am honored and blessed and grateful and thankful to be with my good friend Ty Ward today. Ty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And if you could talk just a little louder, because you're always pretty chill and mellow. It's like, I want to like, just take a nap when I hear your... No. That's exactly right. (laughs) You kind of put me to sleep, so can we try not to do that today? Yeah, we can try. But Ty is... um, among many things, just an amazing entrepreneur. We've got a lot of gems of wisdom in store for everyone today. And Ty, just for our listeners and watchers that don't know much about you or your background, would you just give us a little snippet of the background and kind of what led you to this point? Yeah, well, kind of working back from currently, I have a company called Advocate Agency, and we help influencers, primarily authors, essentially turn their message into a scalable business online in various ways. And, you know, on a personal level, my wife and I have three kiddos, and we, we moved to Santa Barbara three years ago, so we've been here for three years, and uh, previous to that, we were in Nashville, where I kind of started the company and started to build kind of everything that we're doing now. Um, but yeah, yeah, having a blast. It's a great season of life, and we are... In fact, we just had our third, so our, our, our youngest is four months old, and that's pretty much life for us right and now. And she's, everyone watching, I wish, maybe we'll act, maybe we will get a picture, maybe we'll insert a picture. She's Let's like the it. Michelin baby. She's just got the, the most amazing <laughs> roles, and I just want to squish him every time. She's incredible. <laughs> she's so cute. Oh, she's incredible. <laughs> and, and that's full speed ahead for us right now. It's funny, I was telling someone the other day, it was like, when we had two kids, it, it was almost like... Um, you know, I had I had the business and everything going, and got to come home. Like the family was kind of cherry on top, and this weird kind. Of, I mean, that sounds awful, but in this <laughs> weird way, that's kind of how it felt. And you know, even though we spent a lot of time together, things. But with a third, it's like you're a real family. It's yeah. this weird shift of like, whoa, we are, we are we're like we got to start considering vans. You know, we have to start <laughs> thinking about minivans and things like that. And that that's a whole new level. It's, uh, that's that's currently where we're at. We're having a lot of fun. You know, there's no shame in that, though. There's some really cool minivans. Well, we're, we're like kind of going sprinter. We're thinking more oh, the that's, larger, that's get a bed in the back, take yeah. weekend trips. Yeah. That's our compromise. I will allow you to do that as long as I can tag along to Big Sur one weekend. Sure. Yeah, we could work that out. Throw your whole thing I'll babysit. I'll babysit for a bit. 
leave the wife and, and kiddo at home. So, yes, I know family is a huge part of your life. Uh, I love watching your feed, just your kids and everything you do. It's, it's, it's inspiring. It's really cool. And on a business level, I know you've done a lot of different things, but I, I wanted to go back to something you said. You talked about influencers. I think this is an interesting question because this term influencers is, is fairly new. And I, I would just be curious to get kind of your definition or explanation of what an influencer is. It's a great question. Uh, to me, using the, the term influencer is easy. It's the easy way out. Uh, but I will say we specifically work with people who have written a book uh, in the past. So, so I could technically say we work with authors. To define influencers is hard. Uh, there's a lot of associations out there and a lot of definitions out there. For me, it's simply someone who has cultivated a certain level of influence. And, and for me, actually, it speaks to more tribe. Someone who's actually built the tribe uh, and cultivated the influence. And again, in, in my context, it's specifically speaking to a digital tribe, an online tribe. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, influencers are used in several various ways. It's probably not, it doesn't do the term fair justice for me to throw it around that way. Well, it is interesting, and I, <clears throat> I think a lot of people get kind of a little bit convoluted between what it means to build a following versus actually having that tribe. I love that word. Sure. So, any insights for people on just how to build that tribe? Whether, oh, so they don't just have Instagram followers that are not engaged, but like a loyal tribe. There's, uh, I don't know if you've read the essay, I'm sure you probably have, it's called 10,000 True Fans. Sure. Yeah. You know, that kind of in that genre, uh, where you just have such a loyal following or tribe or fans that will essentially buy anything from you, enjoy anything you put out. You know, what does it take nowadays to kind of build something like that up? Well, specifically, and I don't know if it's the same essay, but there's a there's an essay that I've read called A Thousand True Fans. That's what I meant. I said 10,000. 10, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm off my rock. No, no, no. It's, it's I'm going to have some coffee. Same thing. <laughs> uh, and, and I love it because, just like you're talking about, it's essentially saying if you can get a thousand true fans as opposed to followers. When, you, when I said 10,000, I was like, oh, shit, that sounds really daunting. That's a lot of numbers. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a lot of fans. Sorry, a thousand. It's, it's going to take me a while. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the essence of it is essentially if you can get a thousand people to uh, and cultivate real uh, depth of trust with a thousand people, uh, then you can essentially create the, the career and the life you want, you know, as, as an influencer in that sense. And I agree with that. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Um, did you ask me a question? Like, uh, I feel like we got <laughs> stuck on the essay. And I didn't. No, I, I think just some ideas that you've seen. And, and you know what, before we go into that, if you're okay kind of telling us about some of your clients, because some of them are pretty amazing, and sure. you've really helped them go next level. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one of the ones that would be more entertaining and more enjoyable would be J.P. Sears. Yes. Uh, if you're not familiar with J.P. as a name, you're probably familiar with him as a face. He's the red-headed, uh, kind of vegan clowning. I think of you often when I think about this, because I know you're vegan. Yeah. Uh, he kind of got his start doing YouTube videos, viral YouTube videos, and specifically clowning kind of conscious culture. Yes. Kind of the new age culture, uh, which is funny because that's kind of what he's in. It would, be, yeah, that's what he's in. So is that how he is in real life? Like he's 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 a spiritual type of guy. Absolutely. Like into that. Yeah, life coach yes. for 15 years. Okay. You know, absolutely, one of the more uh, deep human beings. 
and yet he's just got this brilliant sense of humor. And because he knows that culture so well and was part of it for so long, it still is in stay. He just was, he's able to clown it like yeah. everybody else. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you happen to know like what? And I was trying to tell Elena on the way over here some of his videos. Yeah. Do you happen to know like what? What's his most viral video? Like the gluten-free one was amazing. Gluten-free was up there for sure. <laughs> Uh, I mean, most recent viral would be Prancer-sizing. Uh, did you see that one? <laughs> I haven't seen You haven't seen Prancer-sizing? No. Oh, brother. <laughs> we got to watch some Prancer. In fact, this kind of this setting reminds me of his Prancer-sizing video. He puts his, uh, puts his, at the time, it was his girlfriend, her, you know, purple yoga pants on. Yeah. And he essentially acts like Prancer-sizing. He's created this sport of Prancer-sizing, <laughs> which is prancing through the woods in exercise clothing, you know? It's unbelievable. Uh, you know, honestly, I think the vegan, the gluten-free, um, some of those earlier ones were definitely the most viral. Uh, exercising went crazy. I, I, I can't think of, of any others right now. But check him out, JP Series. Yes. Too. Okay. So that's how a lot of people know JP, but what a lot of people don't know about JP is that you've actually helped him build like a real legitimate business kind of sure. based on his recognition out there. Yeah, and I can't take 100% credit. He's got a phenomenal agent. He's really gotten him, uh, on the speaking side of things. What's cool is to watch JP's career from the outside and see that someone who can, who, who just started making viral videos can turn it into a sustainable business. And JP's proving that right now. Um, I have helped him online. So I've helped him monetize uh, who he is, his persona, online in various ways, and then he has other people helping in the traditional business sense. Uh, but what we've done is created a private membership community uh, called uh, Awaken with JP Premium AF, and, and uh, he releases an episode every week, and, and uh, essentially it's a subscri subscription-based model where people pay $19.99 to get access to these episodes and then access to him on a, on a consistent basis. We are looking at building a, a larger university on top of that, which would be various courses, uh, potentially even a high dollar kind of program as well. But yeah, we, we've worked with him. I've worked with JP for a little over a year now. And he came to me and just said, hey man, I've got all these eyeballs and I don't know how to turn them into money. Mm. So uh, that was our, uh, you know, and, and he's not a money-driven guy. He's not, you know, any, any, I don't want to give the wrong uh, perception there. But obviously I think it's a huge pain point among quote-unquote influencers today yeah. is I can I seemingly can get the eyeballs and, uh, and, and you know I think a lot of people out there have found a niche to be able to generate the eyeballs but how do I turn this into not just money short-term money as a sustainable business when I read the case study that you had out on kind of how, how you helped JP one thing that caught my attention was he was experiencing some inconsistency even though he had viral YouTube videos it was still kind of hit or miss. So talk to us a little bit about just that continuity or membership model because I think it's it's brilliant. And, and, and any other ideas on how you feel like online entrepreneurs can obtain more stability? Yeah, it's a great question. Besides working with you, because I know you don't work with everyone, obviously. Sure, but yeah. sure. Uh, well, to speak to the continuity model, it, it is, I love it. And it's getting harder to uh, to launch something like a membership community. So I am seeing in the, in the general landscape, membership communities um, for the last probably two years were a whole lot easier than they are now to launch and get critical to 
And that's simply the nature of competition. I mean, a lot of influencers are yeah. realizing that they can create uh, reoccurring revenue in that model. And therefore, within every genre of content, you're going to have uh, some level of competition. And obviously, with a, with a subscription-based product, uh, consumers aren't apt to subscribe to multiple subscription-based right. products within, within a certain genre. That's true. So when you do have competition, it's, it's real competition as opposed to right. a one-time purchase for a course or a My model and my suggestion to people uh, is always to think 18 months, three products. So look at launching, if we're talking sustainability in the long term, uh, a uh, reoccurring model, so subscription-based of some sort. It doesn't have to be first and it doesn't have to be third. Like it, can be, it can be anywhere in the mix. Um, and, then, and then an additional product. So, so think more university as opposed to single membership community type mm -hmm. orientation. Um, and I think what I've seen is that as competition has increased in the reoccurring revenue space, it's a great foundation. So I don't, I don't want to discourage that for influencers to think in that way, a subscription-based model. But I do think if you're looking towards sustainability, you need to think uh, a bit bigger than just subscription, if that makes sense. So what other types of courses? And I want to touch on e-learning, because I think, I think it's huge. I mean, I, I don't, my opinion, and I, and I know a lot of other well-known business people don't believe universities are going to have traditional buildings in 20, 30 years. Like, sure. it's just maybe, maybe even 10. Like, it's just changing so much. So. Talk to us about why you believe e-learning is just so powerful. Well, besides the numbers of just, I mean, absolutely not only is the future there of education, traditional education systems, uh, but even in, in the thought leader space, uh, it, it's just a, a huge industry with, with tons of uncapped potential even at this point. It's grown from uh, under a billion dollar industry, I think seven years ago was the number. In the last seven years, it's up right under three so it's just a rapid expansion, and um, so for traditional education again, as, as well as thought leadership. And so it's a, it's a, it's you know for me working with authors, going towards and let me define online education in the sense that we yes. talked about is things like courses. You know, I'm sure everybody listening is familiar with what you know. I've done a course or seen a course being sold in some way. Uh, Membership-based communities, and, and and the third tier would kind of be programs, which is this kind of a course, a curriculum, and an ongoing offering, and some access to a thought leader. You know, programs take a variety of different shapes and forms, but uh, I like to kind of put them in, in high price point type tier, uh, where thought leaders are giving access to themselves, they're giving curriculum, they're giving ongoing support in some way, you know, some coaching model. Um, with, with online courses now, with, especially in just like the thought leader space, not so much traditional universities and stuff, but what do you feel like are some of the things that are really setting the big winners apart from all the others right now? Good question. What are the guys, uh, what are the guys who are really killing it doing uh, uniquely? You know, honestly, I think, well, and I'll come back to my own agenda in terms of, it's a, agenda would be a strong word, but in a sense of what I believe strongly is I do think the guys are thinking way bigger than just the one-time product or the, uh, even just the, the influencer launching product type mentality. So uh, again, just like an author launching a book, traditionally an author, all they're thinking about is producing this book, 
getting it out, and then moving on to producing the next book. And there's a bit of a hamster wheel in the cancer space. Mm-hmm. Same thing's translated to the online education space. It's this kind of, again, this influencer launching a product type mentality. And I think the guys who have created sustainable business out of it have intentionally created a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. They're looking at it far more than just building a tribe, far more than just launching a product. Uh, they're looking at the 18-month to 24-month type trajectory, and, uh, and they're actually building a business. They're nurturing their leads. Uh, I'm sorry, they're generating their leads consistently, and they're nurturing uh, their tribe on a consistent basis as well. And obviously, producing much more than just a one-off product. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 In terms of just the content itself, though, obviously you've got to have great content for it to, to be viewed or watched. Um, you said ongoing support. I think that's an interesting thing. And, you know, I, I spent some time in the seminar space with, with courses, too. And I know people are desperate and they want that security of knowing that they're going to have ongoing support. Like, I think that's huge. So are some of those top thought leaders that are crushing it with their courses, is there like a really extra strong support model or what does it look like usually? No question. And, and you know, I would say when it comes to courses, you have people out there that are offering uh, kind of do-it-yourself, do-it-at-your-own-pace type courses and crushing it. And I'm not saying that that model isn't working. Several kind of seven or eight-figure courses, course creators, out there are not giving the high-touch coaching model. They're priced more in the $500 to $1,000 range. Do it at your own pace. There's everything you need to do it. Uh, it's still doing really well. Yeah. However, what we're seeing in the trend is that the higher-touch products are creating more sustainability for influencers. So again, I'm always encouraging my clients to think about uh, having a product at each tier, both pricing and touch, if that makes sense. I love high-touch products. I love the ongoing support. I love the uh, ongoing engagement of some some sort. And when I say that, I mean, like I've got a client right now. She's a phenomenal. Her, her client list is unbelievable in terms of who she works with private client-wise. And she launched a course that was is a six-month journey. And she's releasing, she's dripping the content as opposed to uh, here's here's everything. Do it at your own pace. Uh, you know we do have customer support, but essentially it's it's all on your your plate to be able to develop this track. She's really high touch. She's meeting with them on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. and she's not again dripping the content, so it becomes a six month journey. Uh, but again, she's given tons of access to her on an ongoing basis, and that's more of what I'm referring to. Okay. But at the same time, it's not this uh, indefinite timeline subscription-based model. Mm-hmm. It's a one-time fee or a three-payment of uh, for six-month journey. Got it. Okay. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So I want to get into your new book, Authorpreneurship. It's a great title, by the way. It's so good. Um, talk to us about the premise of the book, and then I want to talk about how the landscape for authors has really changed. Sure. Because it has a lot, no question. Yeah. Well, I think the premise for the book is essentially what we're talking about. It's the fact that authors don't have to, authors, and, and, and we can make this for speakers who've developed a speaking career, or anyone, influencers in general, you really do not have to go backwards in the way of traditional uh, mediums. You know, authors relying on publishers, uh, speakers relying on bureaus, uh, influencers, you know, feeling like they have to go develop the, the speaking career or whatever it may be. Online education's really offering 
not just a viable way to create a sustainable business, but a, a, an incredibly lucrative and margin way to do that. So the book is written, again, primarily for authors mm -hmm. uh, who, are, who are considering online education and simply just kind of selling the perks of that, that route. So do you feel like the days of where you just write a book and you get paid the royalties for the rest of your life and, and die happy are, are kind of gone? Certainly. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's such a low, uh, well, it's such a high risk in, in, in putting your, your, your eggs in that basket uh, because there's just, you know, saturation in the market and things. There's very rarely will you have a book that will continue to pay you the type of money that, really looking to live off of. Um, you know, there, again, there's rare cases. I have a client who, who sold, who self-published and sold 27 million books. So he's doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's going yeah. to be okay. Yeah. But in the end, even him at this stage in his career is looking towards, you know, he still collects great royalty checks from his book. but still continues to hit the New York Times bestseller consistently after, I believe, right under a decade of being out. But he himself is looking at all that education and the next stage of his career in great sustainability. Yeah. So if, I don't know, it's just so interesting because I think for so long we've romanticized what it means to be an author. And, you know, you're in this beautiful lake house and you're typing out your next bestseller and you just live this glamorous life. But, like, now, do you really feel like authors need to be thinking, like, this is the start? And then I've got this back end thing and this back end thing for the sustainability. No question. And and again, entrepreneurship, hence the title, is uh, is essentially making the case that any author at this stage, any influencer, any speaker, really has to be thinking like an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, you know, gone are the days of just being the creator in the, in the lake house, writing the book, and producing the book. Um, it's still I shouldn't say gone are the days, but in terms of what's possible today. Right. If a creator and a creative can shift into an entrepreneurial role and start to think of his craft as a business, uh, the possibilities are endless. It's essentially what I'm arguing. Yeah, I love it. So um, I want to get into creativity because I think I think that is something that no matter what line of work you're in nowadays, creativity is more essential than ever. Whether we're just being creative with the content we're putting out on social or a new business idea essentially but I find you a very creative person I always have and I don't know if you could give us some insight to I don't know situations techniques or things that have helped you to foster creativity sure I know you have a little office I know sure. you love music sure. like talk to us about just some of the day-to-day -day inspirational creativity practices well honestly what comes up for me is differentiation and I'm that might sound a little subtopic, but when it comes to creativity for me, I love being in the creator zone. Uh, love being in that zone. And I don't get to be there nearly as much as I'd like to be in terms of my day-to-day -day type craft or my business. Um, but when it comes to any sort of creativity, like putting out entrepreneurship, uh, the on the forefront of my brain when I'm both helping myself and helping clients uh, create things is differentiation is how to look at the market in a, in a unique way, understand how the avatar client that we're trying to reach uh, is being spoken to currently by others, and to find the differentiating factor or variable that we can leverage for a project and 
creativity. So I know it doesn't directly answer your question in terms of how to cultivate creativity, uh, but whenever I'm starting out a creative project, it's the first thing I look at. So you're essentially asking, how can I make this different? How can I make it different? Yeah. And of course, for, for, for obvious reasons. It's like, saturation is at an all-time high on social media, saturation is at an all-time high on the Everybody's trying to play in very small spaces. So my goal creatively is always to either invent a new space, or at least the perception of a new space, a new angle, or find a very unique differentiator. So with asking that question and then creating accordingly, you know, how can I be different? Are you looking at whatever? Have you had your share of failures in, in, in those things where you thought something was just going to really pop and then it didn't? Oh, God. Just trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. On a personal level, for sure. Uh, luckily, I work. I tend to work with clients who have, have their own message and differentiate so But on a personal level, oh, my gosh. My journey towards any sort of, even just differentiation has been you know, I, I wrote a book years ago, and you know, did not did not meet any level of expectation I had for it. You know? I'm not sure it was a flop because I did make some money on it, whatever. <laughs> but it was it was so far under expectation and hopes of how it would sell and how it would perform and how it would be impacted in that book. Yeah. And that would be a good example of like, man, I thought it was I thought it was awesome. <laughs> I just thought it was awesome, and I like fought my editor at every level, just thinking, no, I've got to stay true to myself in this, and I've got to, you know, the key to this is X, Y, and Z, and whatever. It just was so that'd be a good example. Okay. On the other end of things, uh, the projects are the things that I've put out into the world with very little effort and, and no expectation are the ones that typically don't return the most. Money, which is always interesting. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So I think for those listening or watching, it's important to remember they've got to try a lot of different things. Yes. If you're going to be bold as a creator and try to be different, and be okay knowing that some of those are going to fail. No question. So, yeah, no question. Yeah. And that's, yeah, no question. I don't want to get too cliche, <laughs> but there's just no, no question in this space of when we're talking tribe building or monetizing on failure's got to be a very comfortable space for you. Yeah. Talk to us about simplicity, because everything that I've seen with your work speaks simplicity. It's clean, it's it's not wordy, and it's everything. It's from your writing style, to your content, to even your one-word text message replies. <laughs> That's awesome. But just no, I've always I've always seen you as a guy that just appreciated simplicity. Sure. So where did that come from and how do you cultivate that because i think we do get so complex with everything sure well <laughs> i think a lot of times it's just that i can't do anything else but you're, you're gonna you're gonna like just just f with my head later and send me like this novel text totally. and i'm gonna be like dude this is not right <laughs> this does not feel right <laughs> oh, that's awesome share your feelings ty good great, great. that's awesome oh my gosh I get more I get more comments from friends about my text messaging habits, both frustrations <laughs> and appreciations. Uh, uh, man, good question, really good question. And for me, I mean, obviously, I I just prefer minimal across the board of, of everything. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, oftentimes it's because, for me personally, I mean, things like writing, uh, I've always appreciated the Hemingway type approach, you know, saying as much as you possibly can in as little words as possible. Um, and I'm sure that's where some of my simplicity comes from. But I, I'm, I'm serious when I say sometimes it's just because it's all I can do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there are guys out there that are absolutely brilliant in the way that they present themselves and speak and can do a whole lot more than just keep it simple. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm on the I, I want to talk about this though because I think um, one of my biggest pet peeves is thought leaders who intentionally maybe, or or subconsciously maybe they don't even realize they're doing it anymore. Sure. But that try to sound so damn smart sure. to literally confuse everyone to appease their own ego, sure. thinking, "Oh, I sound so good right now." Yeah. I just said this word and this word and this word. Like, I think we need so much less of that. And it's interesting seeing certain people, like let's take a Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, who's not that well-spoken. He's using ghost writers. <laughs> but the masses appreciate the simplicity, I think, and the less complicated message. Yeah. It's For me, it's clarity. You know, it's probably the, the term that I would slap on. And, and it goes back to differentiation as well. Differentiation and clarity are incredibly high values in mind when presenting anything. Uh, but it, it, you're exactly right. It's like, uh, and I've been there. I, you know, even my book. If you read my first book, you would realize that I tried to sound a whole lot smarter than I really was. Right? I, I was like that classic guy. Like, listen to me, because I can make things a whole lot more complex than they need to be. Uh, but you know, in the end, it's the it's the it's the clearest in the room that has the most power. Mm. I've always believed that. I learned that from a client of mine years ago. The one with the most clarity on what they're trying to do in the world is the one that's going to not only attract the most, but be the most powerful, be the most actually effective. Gary Vee would be a great example of that. Yeah, I love that. Say that quote one more time. He who is the most... The clearest in the room wins. Mm. I mean, the clearest in the room is the most powerful. Right? You would see it in any sort of context, but the one who understands why they're there uh, the impact they're bringing and is able to communicate it the clearest, which oftentimes is the simplest, uh, is the one that most people are willing to follow. So powerful. Um, uh, so much I want to get into, but I, I want to touch on manifesting. Cool. We're going to talk about manifesting. So <clears throat> I want to share this with everyone. Uh, Ty and his wife are like these unbelievable manifesting people where, again, talking about clarity, seeing it so clear in your mind, knowing exactly what you want, and really, in so many cases, probably getting, I don't know, I feel like 90% of what you guys like put out there at least comes out. I've had many late night kitchen table discussions with you guys to just pick your brains on this because it's, it's astounding and I would love to just kind of First off, here, when did the whole journey of believing that you could truly manifest and you know get what you went after kind of start in your lives? Great. Question. And we can include your wife in this too because she's, she's oh, powerful. I don't know how we wouldn't. <laughs> she's incredible, and it really did begin with her in many ways. She she's always she's always lived this way in the sense of just had this extra dose of belief and faith in uh, yeah in the ability to create things in life and you know we come from a Christian background and 
and so and we met within a Christian context, um, faith context, and even there, she was just constantly the one on the forefront in, in a faith sense uh, of creating things and manifesting things. We've transitioned out of that faith culture and really found a culture even now that has supported that in her and in us as a you know, relationship even more so than a Christian context. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a slow journey for sure and still is. I think uh, we're even, we, we met this week and, and had, you know, we do these manifestation type sessions together. So we get together and, uh, you know, we have our vision boards and things, all the typical kind of manifestation stuff, but we also on a weekly basis eat lunch together and just dream talk about the possibilities in the future, which really keeps things fresh for us. But even this last week, we're, we're, we're experiencing right now, like, just the, that same journey of, like, do we really believe this, and are we really, like, this is really what we want, and there's some things that we have put in our intention over this last season that haven't manifested. Yeah. So I would say it's an ongoing journey, but it started in the sense of uh, stepping out of one context culturally into one that really supported this way of life fact that we are a whole lot more powerful than we typically give ourselves credit for. And with intention, with clarity, with some of these tools, we, we can actually create um, virtually anything. You know, how do, how do people become more clear on what they want? It sounds so simple and it, it shocks me that I'm not as good at it as I would like to be and people don't, like you ask someone, what do you want? And so often they're just like, I don't really know. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, that's where it starts. And, and for me, I can speak personally because I'm sure everybody has their own journey. For me, it was getting the barriers out of the way. And so um, I had so much shame attached to what I wanted. I had so much, uh, you know, unbelief, you know, in a sense of like, uh, is that good? A, lo a lot of times what I wanted in life did not feel uh, noble or good. Because of my cultural context, mm -hmm. it was, I had negative associations, associations with it. Are you talking about money? Money was a huge negative association for me. Uh, both from my relationship with my father, just in terms of he was successful and able to generate a lot of money, but to me it felt like disconnection because mm. I often wanted to be more connected to him Got than it. I was. Uh, all the way to my, my cultural context, which taught me that money was not something worth pursuing, right. and it would only lead me astray from yeah. my true values and, and you know, whatnot. So for me, it was getting that stuff out of the way, yeah. getting beyond it, and, and still to this day, addressing it consistently, uh, and, and creating positive associations around what I want, and being okay with the fact that, okay, I want this. And um, not only just, I, I, think, I think the path to clarity is again, removing the shame, associations that's so 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 powerful um, I would imagine it's a little different with every kind of blocker that people have it could be it could be abuse when they were younger that's maybe blocking them from getting a relationship that they they want but they just feel stuck but like how how do you remove the blocks how do people remove those blocks it's a billion dollar question <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Come see us. We'll remove all your blocks. We're one million dollars. That's right. Well, you know, I wish I felt more adequate as a teacher here. But I will say, I can speak to my own journey. Let's say, take money, for example, for me. That was probably one of the biggest things in terms of, you know, Annalie and I started to get really clear a couple years ago about what kind of income we wanted to generate, uh, what kind of lifestyle we wanted to live. And uh, 
a couple things really helped me in that journey. Number one, reading some books like uh, Waddle's The Science of Getting Rich. Yep. Great book. Uh, Napoleon Hill. Uh, what's, what's his book called? Thinking Grow Rich. Thinking Grow Rich. Yeah. <laughs> All these classics. Master Key System is a great one. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Some of these classics, like, been around for, for decades and decades, uh, but still really helped me in the journey of removing negative associations from, from specifically money. So I would say looking at people who have, have, have chosen this path that you want to choose and, and, and finding the way that they, their perception, like, uh, almost transposing or, or uh, adopting their perception about these issues really helped me specifically. Uh, mantras really helped me. So just very practically, I, I do a meditation session every morning where I have, if I wrote it out, it'd probably be a couple pages of mantras that I've memorized. Mm -hmm. You know, they're affirmations. Some of them are affirmations. Some of them are just statements about, you know, about myself, about what I'm creating, about my family, about, and those have really, really helped me stay clear and keep those associations clear as well. So how did you, how did you get in the space where you actually created those mantras? That might seem like a silly question, but if you're if you're stating something with emotion and intensity and intent every day, I feel like it'd be very important to have exactly what you want on there. How, how, again, kind of going back to that, like how do people really figure out what they want, not what their parents want for them? Sure. Because we have those pressures. It's super weird. Sure. But like, how did you actually just get super clear on what you wanted? Yeah, great question. Great question. <laughs> um, truthfully for me, it's only happened in the last several years. So it's only happened in the last four or five years where I feel like I've gotten clear and been on this manifestation type journey, this creator journey. Um, and, you know, it was after years of being removed from my original context. Mm. But the familial systems and patterns are still very much alive in me and, and consistently come up, both positive and negative, you know. But it's a great question. I mean, honestly, I think I would assume everyone has their own journey there. For me, it, um, you know, when I, was, when I was 17, I moved out of the house and lived in Eastern Europe in a war-torn culture for a year. And, you know... That was a that was a pivotal experience for me of breaking some of the patterns, you know, choosing to set my own course, you know, set my own path. And I would, I'm sure everybody has their own version of that. Did you, did you just become more grateful as a person after seeing some of that stuff? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No question. No question. Uh, but but I, I mentioned that in the context of like you know I'm sure everybody has their own way of, of plotting their own course, but. You know, some families, some friends I have that had families who were just uber healthy and they've never really had to deal with some of those patterns, those mm -hmm. limiting patterns that their family gave them. Um, but, I'm, I'm, again, I'm sure everybody has their own, their own journey. Do you believe in writing things down? Like, your intentions to manifest? Absolutely. Writing, like, actual paper? For me, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I'm the type that it doesn't go in, it doesn't get in here unless I'm... I, I keep hearing more about that. In fact, we, we had someone on the podcast recently who just talked about the power of putting that ink to paper, like, more powerful than I think we realize. Something different than the keyboard. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. The keyboard helps me as well, just consistently. But I, yeah, I, I love writing. So you said something to me once that I'd love to kind of bring up for a second because I thought it was so powerful, and it was the resolve that you had just recently made around getting rid. If someone asks you how you doing, you said I'm never going to say I'm oh busy, and we we talked about busyness and kind of how odd that is that we're kind of conditioned in our society to say how are you doing oh I'm I'm busy I'm really busy and kind of how that's like you were trying to kind of break that sure talk to us about that I love that yeah well that was an article that I, it was a great example of some of the things that you just put together very quickly and release in the world uh, and they typically are the ones that have the most return on them and, and that was an article I wrote years and years ago uh, in the midst of kind of exploring this this pattern we have, like just the, the, the default answer is always, yeah, things are busy, no good, but busy, you know? Yeah. And I still do it, obviously. But, uh, the, and, and realizing that oftentimes busy is a badge that we tend to wear that's more about, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm important. Yeah. You know, basically, we're saying, I'm important. Yeah. And you should, you know, whatever, worthy of respect, and, you know, whatever that association is for us. But, yeah, wrote that article from a conversation with a buddy, published it, went crazy, it ended up getting shared, I can't even remember now, but it just went crazy, built my email list, which was great. But yeah. uh, but it was this exploration of the fact that this is very default, busy, and, and it's, it's a whole lot deeper than that. It's, it's this need to feel important. And oftentimes, if we can reverse engineer that, well, well, first, kind of exposing the fact that busy accent actually isn't respectable. Right? The title was busy isn't respectable anymore. Yeah. It's not respectable. It's not. It's not a badge of honor. It's actually a sign. You know, I brought in various perceptions of other influencers or thought leaders, but it's a sign that we're not managing our time well. Yeah. Right. We're not managing our life well. That if truly we were able to create sustainability in our lifestyle and income and things, uh, that busy certainly would not be a badge of honor. That we don't I love that. Does that make sense? I love that. So, what would be? Didn't you say something about a replacement word you try to have? So if someone says, have you been, Ty? Instead of saying, busy but good, what do you say instead? Well, I, in the article, it was a conversation with my buddy. And I can't remember exactly what word he used, but he did have a replacement yeah. uh, that we presented in the article. Uh, for me, I just try and, I try and stay away from it or just try and stay aware of it yeah. as much as possible. Aware of when I'm in that default mode. of like, yeah, I'm good, but busy and what, what does that really mean, Ty? What are you really looking for in that situation? Right. Whatever. So I don't have necessarily a replacement word. Okay. I mean, I suppose you could just say, oh, I'm doing awesome, or I'm doing excellent. Sure. And not, yeah. not say the word busy or whatever. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Very cool. How do you, um, how do you manage your, your life? Because you truly are busy, three kids, having to be in a creative state, manage clients, sure. manifesting, Sure. What is what is a typical day look like for you? Yeah, it's it's pretty consistent. Like I keep things pretty consistently dialed in, and it typically looks like uh, waking up. These days, I get the girl, change her diaper. You know, I get to hang out with her for the first thirty minutes of my day, which is awesome. Uh, I do a meditation, do a thirty-minute meditation every morning, take the kids to school, take the boys to school. Uh, but then my workday is in ninety-minute spurts, so I'm. I typically spend the first 90 minutes of my day invested into what I care about the most that day. Mm. And so I just I just leave the 90 minute session, you know, there's no work calls, there's no meetings. Um, 
sometimes I'll use it for work if I feel especially passionate about what I'm doing. But it's really my 90-minute passion hour. It's like, what do I care most about? And I'm going to invest the freshest part of my day, brain-wise, into that. Uh, majority of time, that is my meditations, or that is my uh, manifestation type hours. It is okay. like, uh, typically, it's focused on business and kind of the next step for my business. But I try and, it's my altitude hour sometimes, is what I call it. Okay. Um, yeah, so 90-minute sessions. I, I did some research into, you know, energetic rhythms and, and kind of the biology of how our bodies are, are built and just realized that anything beyond 90 minutes, we're not being efficient. Right. And so I try and do 90-minute focus, 60-minute uh, off, typically. Okay. So my whole day is kind of wired that way. What is that? What does that 90 minutes look like? Are you at your office at this point? Are you at the house? Do you have music? Like, paint the picture for The us. first 90 minutes? Yeah. Oh, it's always coffee shops. Coffee shops? Yeah, okay. always coffee shops. I love the, I love coffee shops. <laughs> it's probably like some sort of vice I have. I've probably seen Ty at more coffee shops than anyone has had, period. Like, <laughs> it's true. Which takes one to know one, right? But, That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I think all the baristas in town are like, you know, so yes, tired. favorite customer. Well, either that or you know, tired of seeing me. You know, so yeah. in coffee shops, do you have music going as you're kind of typically no passions going? No, it's just me and my laptop. Yeah. But I love the energy of a coffee shop. It really helps me feed. I'm, I'm more of a responder type personality, energetically. Yeah. So I, I can, uh, I, I don't typically set the energetic tone in the room. I respond to it. Okay. So something like a coffee shop really helps me energetically, you know, get to that, that higher type. I think that's so interesting. I want to touch on this for a second because I think I was recently at, at Handlebar. Uh, Handlebar's a probably the busiest coffee shop in, in Santa Barbara here, and I remember looking around and everybody, including myself, had earphones in and was just doing their work. But I thought, how interesting, like, people needed to come here. They're not talking to each other. It's not for the company. It's probably not for the coffee, but it's for the energy. For sure. People are in there, whether they're in their own world, but they're still feeding off of this energy of other people. Interesting. Yeah. And, and things like WeWork and some of the collaborative workspaces we do so okay so you do passion hour by the way I think I think that's a huge takeaway for everybody like the fact that as busy as you are you're still taking 90 minutes for you to manifest your most important work oh dude I have a mentor that calls it Einstein time this theory that when we invest into ourselves and invest into what we care about the most give our best part of our day, that's a real big piece for me. You give the best of best time of day, the freshest brain, to what you care about most, and really in the end it's investing in yourself, then your time expands. Mm. Like my time when I invest in my business feels like 3x what it typically does if I was to start in grind mode. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if we can get if we can invest the early morning hours into altitude and and centeredness and being, approaching our work and our day from a place of uh, feeling really good about who we are and what we're investing into, clear, clarity, mm -hmm. then, then it's Einstein time. And that stuff, the, the, the time that we spend investing in our business is more efficient, more effective, it expands uh, in, in, a, in a very weird type of quantum way that I can't necessarily explain, but it absolutely, I believe. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Okay, so you do that, then you go 60 minutes off focused 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or disengage what? the mind. Disengage so I'll go work the out. mind. Yeah. Okay, you I'll go do work a nine minute session and I'll go work out. Okay. And just get physical. Okay. Stay in my body. It's my whole journey. Not okay. think. So I'll either, you know, it's funny when we're actually processing this, but do a 90 minute session, I'll typically take a short break and either go work out or I'll jump into another 90 minute session if I have a lot of stuff to do that day. And so certainly after lunch, it's another 90 minute focus session. And depending on Tuesday, Thursdays, I do calls in the afternoon. So my 90 minutes are focused on two or three different calls in those two sessions with a break in between. Or, or it's, it's grind out, you know, it's just detailed. Yeah. Okay, and then what's from there? Uh, go home, be with the family. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, after that second kind of 90 minute session a day, I'm about four or five. Nice. Yeah. And then do you uh, do you enjoy working at night sometimes, like getting in the zone after the kids are in bed, working yeah. late? So when, I, when I'm in a season where I'm investing into a creative project of mine, like entrepreneurship, right. or, you know, some of my own business stuff outside of client work, yeah, I'll, I'll work after we put the kids down. Yeah, so I know you were deep into that. For like, sure. Really getting it. Yeah, and if I'm yeah. working at night, I typically do not do two intense sessions in the afternoon. I just don't have the capacity for it. Got it. So, so what I'm what I'm getting from just hearing your day, this is so fascinating, is that to you it's not about how much you can get done, it's about how efficiently you're doing it. Hundred percent. So talk to us about efficiency. Like how did you how did you discover this model of efficiency? Like I mean I think I think everyone listening or watching could take away from yeah, well, for me, it was 100% necessity because uh, over 10 years ago, a doctor diagnosed me as basically my, um, my body was producing the amount of energy as like a 60-year-old man. Wow. Low hormones in every sense. Like, and they think it's some metals that I picked up in the water from my time in Kosovo when I was 18. Wow. But... Uh, so it, it was purely by necessity. I just did not have the capacity of a, of a typical late 20s, early 30s entrepreneur. Wow. You know, which, you know, was not, it was very helpful to realize that, but it certainly was not ideal. So for me, it's all about efficiency, simply yeah. because of capacity. Yeah. And, you know, I've found some ways physically to help manage that, obviously fix some of the hormonal imbalances and things, but, uh, but even for my work day, it's like, because of necessity and seeing how much we can create and generate if we're focused on efficiency and not just quantity, like if we're focused on quality, not quantity, then uh, then it's like, you know, you'll never go back. And so even now as I've worked things out physically, efficiency is still such a high, high value line. So how do you, how do you figure out what is efficient? You know, for people listening or watching and Look, I think we've all been stuck in it. We've all been guilty of just responding to everything. Like, you know, a certain email that comes in dictates how the next hour goes. How do you, I guess, discipline yourself to not be reactive and to say, this is what I'm doing today. Sure. And not getting off track. Yeah, I, I could probably tell you conceptually, but I'm not the best at that in, sense, in a sense of, you know, now, just breaking it into 90-minute sessions is a great way to do it for me because I know that in 90-minute sessions, I have typically one or two priorities. You know, it's like I know that for the next 90 minutes, this is my objective. You know? and, and creating blocks like that has really helped me. Do you literally turn off your notifications and no. your phone and, and all that No, and that's what stuff? I mean. I'm awful. Okay. Yeah. 
No, I'll, I'll constantly get notifications. And yeah. But I do, my wife would say that I have a, I have a hyper ability to focus. So for me, it's a little easier. Like I can, I can have the distractions and stay really focused. I know for most people, it's turning off, things like turning off notifications and distractions of all sorts is necessary. Sometimes that focus gift works for me, sometimes it doesn't. But I certainly don't have to necessarily go into a cave. Got that's, what you're, Got that's what you're asking. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What are some ways that you see for, say, the average person to just become more efficient and, you know, even figure out, hey, if I'm going to do a 90-minute session, how do I know what's the most important work to be working on? Yeah. Like, how do you figure that out at the start of each week? Man, I do it at the start of each day. I mean, I... In the end, it's 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 a daily thing for me. It's just using a priority system, uh, and I don't necessarily have a, a system per se. But yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to efficiency, it's really all about priorities. It's really all about prioritizing what you're working on, what you're investing your time into, and finding the high, highest leverage things uh, to, to to be focused on and to prioritize. Um, and I would say that's probably some of my downfall in the way that I work with hyper-focusing things. That would be the, the underbelly of it for me is that oftentimes um, I can get into a mode where I work really hard even within my nine sessions, not always on the highest leverage things. So that's one thing in the last year or two that I've really been focused on is, again, just like we're talking about, finding the highest leverage things to be working on, mm -hmm. things that are going to create the greatest return to get us farthest down the road towards our goals, towards what we're trying to create. So is that is that literally like a question you will ask yourself at the start of figuring out the day? Like what activities today are going to give me the greatest return? What are some questions you kind of ask yourself in your brain or write out to determine what's the most important thing? Yeah, I think intuitively it is. It's not something necessarily practice for me. Um, I think refocusing, certainly that early morning 90 minute session with my meditation time, refocusing on what I'm trying to create with altitude, like not beyond just today, helps me prioritize what we're working on today. You know? uh, but no, I mean, for me, it's like my work, my, my daily flow is just a lot of stuff coming at me, lots of needs coming at me with some different clients and different things. So um, I think the question I ask as a filter is, how urgent is this? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to highest leverage. Right. I think some of the altitude work I do is more focused on leverage. Right. Makes sense. Like, what's going to create, like, business model stuff. Like, I'm constantly analyzing my business model. Am I working, am I, am I structuring deals with clients, or am I investing my time and my team's time into something that is creating the level of return that we want, mm -hmm. you know, and that's going to get us to the goals that we have as a business. But those are more altitude type right. leverage questions as right. opposed to that. So I, I know there's probably some people watching or listening that are in nine to five jobs. They're not necessarily like you and I where we can kind of determine our own schedule. Maybe their boss has them working 60 hours a week. They've got a family, they've got a commute. And they're sitting thinking, that sounds awesome, Ty, that you have 90 minutes, bro. To really get in the zone, but I don't have freaking 10 minutes to myself, or at least they don't think they do. So for the people like that, that want, maybe they would like to give this a go and kind of have this peak time where they figure out their day and get really clear, but how do they, how did, what advice would you give to that person, like to figure it out? It's just about priorities? 
we can read the four-hour work week. <laughs> I'll leave that to Tim Ferriss. He's done a great job. Yeah. I think he actually has a section in there of how to how to get out of the nine to five. Yes. No, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I've never worked a nine to five. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so where where can everyone find you, Ty? And where can everybody pick up a copy of Entrepreneurship and say hello to you? Yeah. <laughs> Let me think about that, actually. There's a couple different places. I mean, obviously on Instagram, tyward.co. Um, I'm trying to think what I'm doing. Entrepreneurship. Go, uh, tyward.co is obviously the website, .co. So you can go there. That, that'll kind of direct you and various ways but you can drop in the entrepreneurship's free I give it away so you can drop in with an email address which is phenomenal by the way I highly recommend it it'll get you thinking in a certain way mm-hmm. um, but yeah tyward.co is probably the best place my, my company's advocateagency.co if, if interested but awesome yeah awesome well pleasure my man oh, thank man. you so much for being here absolutely I'm excited for the feedback and the comments and love to have you back on the show absolutely man awesome. happy, to, happy to do a follow up as well thanks brother Hey guys, Brock again. Did you enjoy that episode as much as I did? If you couldn't tell, I was laughing hysterically at so much of it. And Ty is truly just someone that you can have a great time with, uh, as well as just walk away from any conversation with him just with your mind blown. What did you guys get out of that episode? I would love to hear your comments and your feedback. And if you're enjoying the show, please share it with your friends, you guys. We're gonna continue to build momentum with this podcast and bring so much value through various kinds of guests on all different arrays of different topics. So thank you so much. I just wanted to give you my personal uh, feeling of gratitude just for your time and attention with this. And I will see you guys very, very soon on the next episode.